I knew that I wanted to have a family. I mean, even before I met Jim, I was going to like father conferences, like gay, gay male dad conferences, like already wanting to know how could I do this by myself? You know, I, I give up on finding a partner, you know, here. It was just like, it was crazy. So I was like, I'm going to do this by myself. I'm going to uh, adopt or, or try to do IVF. But back then it was so alien, all this, you know, it's so overwhelming. And I remember going to the first meeting. Um, it was like a gay dad's thing in San Francisco where they, they went through the process. And I was just like walking out of there almost like crying, you know, like overwhelmed with First, the cost, right? Oh, you just need a $100,000. Where am I going to get that money from, you know? It's like all these things in the process was just so intimidating, overwhelming. So that was early on. That was like in, in, in 20 and then late 2000s when I was single and I knew what I wanted. And then I met Jim um, in San Francisco at a bar. It does happen. And little by little, we formed a relationship. I would have never imagined that I would have married a man in the first place. So that was really weird to me. But when I met Jim, you know, in 2011, um, after a few years, I, I could tell that he talked about that. And it was just recently that it was approved, the gay marriage uh, by the Supreme Court right around those years. So we were riding, you know, the wave of change. The whole marriage thing started coming in. He wanted that. And I, I see they wanted that. So I went, I, I warmed up to that because it was really hard for me to overcome that even in the first place that I could even marry a guy. I was like, so it was a big struggle within myself. And finally, I got past that. We got married. It was a huge, huge thing for me to accept, especially with my family, my really large family. His was very small. And then I knew, um, even before marrying him, like through those years, that I, I still want to have a family. And I would always tell him that I want to have a family that was more alien to him at first, but he warmed up to it, just like I warmed up to the whole wedding thing. Um, and then that was going to be one of our focuses after we got married. Um, and uh, is is to is to focus on how to do that. And um, first we got our home. We were deciding what should we get our home first or the family first. And well, that was a big thing. Is I wanted to have the kids now and work on it now, but. I'm so glad we went for the the home first. We got a condo because that allowed us the equity that built, you know, the real estate that's been happening the past, you know, 10 years to have the money to afford IVF. My family's from Peru. There's IVF clinics there. Um, I know some of the doctors there. Why don't we explore IVF in Peru? It'll save us, you know, like 30%, 50% of the cost that it costs here. So we did, we tried. I went over there to investigate. I did a trip like about a week or two. Um, I stayed with family. I, I went to all the clinics, met the doctors. I was there like a week, just talking with friends, telling them my story, what I wanna do. Um, the clinic seemed like they really wanted to help me. I got enrolled, started the sperm analysis, all these different things. Um, and I was like, oh wow, they're on board. You know, I wanna do this. Um, and then, um, after about a week, I couldn't find a surrogate there. So I was kind of like, gosh, you know, what do I do? It was like the last two days that I was there and I talked to a friend and and she really helped me. She tried to find somebody for me. She went out and tried to like find from her group of friends, like, wait, you're a gay single or you're gay with with a partner and you want to have a, a you want to have a baby and you want to find a surrogate. How are you going to do that? Like and the whole IVF, like for many people in Peru, it's very even here, you know, but it's very like out of this world strange. So 
the fact that I was trying to line all this up, I remember even seeking legal guidance in Peru and trying to find the, the lawyers that will help me because that was a very risky move to do this in Peru. And if there's no sort of protection against LGBT, what if I have the baby? What happens here? I go in with the with no baby. I walk out with the baby. What's going to happen there? You know, and so all these things were making me nervous. And um, I found the surrogate. Uh, she found one. Her, um, and uh, gosh, we we met a couple times. She seemed very friendly, very outgoing. I have pictures of her. Um, I went to her home. Like we really got to know each other. She was ready to go. And I explained to her, you know. Uh, I want to do this. I want to do that. She's like, Bruce, do you understand what it's like to have a kid? Like, do you really? Because she has a kid. And I was like, I, I, I don't know yet, but I know I'm ready for that. And and so um, we, she was on board. You know, we did a financial uh, agreement and now it was all the lab stuff. So I, I went back home and then I started preparing. A few months later, I came back to Peru to really start pursuing the lab stuff. You know, finish the semen analysis, all that stuff. And then um, they had presented us um, donor profiles, you know, of, of for the eggs. And it's so funny how different it over there is, is like all you get is like one page or two pages of like their name. I like to play the violin, uh, you know, their height and, and their color of their skin and eyes, but no pictures. Um, no family history. It's really just like one or two pages. And then like that very, you know, I like to go to the movies on Saturday and play volleyball. And oh, just like, hey, we're going to make our decision on this. We'll choose. You know, they gave us like four or five. So we were advancing, you know. And then Jim came. We went to a third trip with Jim. He came to meet the surrogate to really start. He gave the sperm analysis, all that. And then when it was time for embryo creation and really getting the laboratory involved, um, the, they distanced themselves, the, the, the IVF clinic did. And they, they said, you know, unfortunately, we, we're not going to be able to, to work with you. Um, and we were just wondering why. And she said, um, we just, we're, we're, not able, we're not able to, to, to proceed with this. They used the excuse that it was international and they just didn't really want to go there. Um, but I, we went to Peru. I went to another couple clinics. Again, went through the whole, uh, um, transferred the sperm analysis, um, started talking about embryo creation. It was so like demeaning sometimes because psychologists are involved. Um, so they have to clear you. This was the second clinic. And at the end of the day, the doctor said, sorry, we, we can't, we're not able, the, the laboratory people don't want to move forward with, with this case. It's not me. It's the laboratory. They don't want to move forward. Proceed. So after that, and after just all that emotion, and I was just, we were so discouraged, Jim and I, and the surrogate was there. She was like, I can't believe we tried to bring her to the U S get her a visa. They wouldn't give her a visa. So we tried all these things there and man, that was really disheartening. That was all like, it all just fell down. Like all this effort, we came out here so many times working with these clinics. And I, and then I knew that it was, I don't know, I just felt like they're not ready socially to support to LGBT, you know, maybe females. Cause you know, um, it was so interesting. The lawyer that I, I scouted out, he, she worked with that main doctor um, at that uh, clinic. 
and he, he, he she knows him and and he she asked so it's okay for two women to have babies but why do you feel differently about two men and he couldn't really respond to her she told me so uh i think there's a lot of ingrained things there you know in peru and having especially two males it's like wow two men raising a baby and so i think it's that it could have been the argentinian case with the media one of the worst feelings that I've ever had in my life was that day is just that, you know, hollowness. So we came back to the States, everything, and then we didn't talk about it for a few months. Um, and then after a few months, you know, we had to heal from that. And then we're like, well, let's pursue adoption. So we we did. We started going to all the agencies um, and uh, adoption conferences and, and the county and then we heard about all the horror stories about how, you know, they they don't, you know, they could have that baby till the very, very last moment and they could t- take that baby when they're born. And you could be paying all these things throughout their whole journey. You know, you know, the county is even more challenging with difficult cases. What age do you want? We always wanted an infant. I had always wanted to have a baby from like a baby and all the way through. So I really wanted an infant. And we started doing that for a few months, going to these things, you know, but we we're just like, oh, God. There's no uncertainty, you know, there's no, it, it could be swapped out. Can we go through that again? You know, that emotional turmoil that we went through and do that again. So about that time, we got progeny benefits at Cooper. Um, and I was like, oh, maybe I can use some of these things, you know, and we can just do it little by little. Cause that's what this whole process is. Little steps, you know, and there's so many freaking ways along the spectrum that something can go wrong or off, but it's just little, little steps. So I think a greater power that may be put me in this role at Cooper for some reason, this, in this point in my life to know all these things about media and genomics. And it's just interesting, you know, uh, because if I, I didn't have that, like I have a couple of friends that are pursuing IVF too, they're getting, they don't, it's so overwhelming. I mean, um, to, especially for like, um, not your main, uh, AMA or, uh, you know, heterosexual, uh, for all these maybe unrepresented underdeserved communities. I mean, uh, there's not enough resources out there to, that they can relate to directly that allow them to be like, oh, I can do this. I can, you know. So with our friends, you know, we are like that. We're like, you can do this. It's just, you know, you you have to explain the process. So we first, Jim, he's such a, a social media person and uh, I am not, um, but he uh, posted something on his Facebook about, you know, what happened in Peru and that we're looking for something out here. And if you know of any surrogates, uh, he posted on his whole wall. I was like, for me, I was like, post something like that. I'm, <laughs> but he did. He was okay. And then after a week or two, I'm like, you know what? Repost on my wall. It's funny how you change, you know. Um, and nobody answered. But one of his friends from college, his one of his good good friends from college, said, "Can I repost this on my wall?" Um, and she did. And that's how we found the the surrogate. Um, and um, she is from Arizona. So she was a, a friend of a friend. She went to school with law school with that friend. So it was a it was a nice, warm connection, not such a go to agency or, or, you know, finding somebody you don't know. There's no connection because that's another show for 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 fertility. Right. Is the the, the crazy things that happen. Right. With 
surrogates and how sometimes they want more money and there's just a lot of lot little things like that but if it's a friend of a friend like there's a, a level of trust there that that's really special um and so she was on board now we had to bring in the legal find the legal people to get all make sure all that can you imagine if i would have done that in peru and i actually had succeeded what would have happened you know like two gays wait who's the the last name and you want to hyphen it and like oh my god i could see that that was going to be a legal disaster in getting them out like and maybe you know i'm always a firm believer of things are meant to be the way they're supposed to meant to be and maybe that just was not meant to be and so we accepted that and it said we're actually happy now that that didn't so it's amazing the change of feelings anyway continuing our our journey down here we started lining him up. Surrogate was in Arizona. Gosh, we're in California. Where do we find the clinic? Let's do an Arizona clinic. I used to cover that territory, so I know all the clinics there. So we continued, transferred our things from Peru. We tried to transfer the semen analysis and all these things. And they were just like, you know what, Bruce, let's just let's just start all. Um, the embryology is now another part. So the eggs, securing that. Um, those were frozen and then sent to the clinic. Uh, I bought a lot, which is about six eggs. Jim bought one. Our plan was to, to take, and we wanted the same egg donor, to take that and fertilize half with my sperm and half with Jim's sperm. Um, so we bought two lots of six or seven. Um, and then, you know, through that they do thaw, ICSI, um, and, um, out of the first round, Jim got like two or three euploids. I believe it was two euploids. And then I didn't get any euploids. We did get mosaicism, um, but none of them were, uh, they were all high level or aneuploid. So that was pretty heartbreaking for me. And I'm like, crap, you know, what do we do? We have to think about this. Should we just move forward with one of the gyms and transfer that? And then um, how should we do this? We were originally going back and forth with the double embryo transfer a lot. First, we, you know, working in the field, I know everyone supports single embryo. Um, and we're like, we just kept going back and forth, really. Like, should we transfer one? Should we transfer two? Well, if we transfer one, it'll be easier, you know, on us and on the mom. Um, and we have a, you know, a better chance. What if one, you know, uh, miscarries? Does it affect the other? Data says it doesn't things to think about, you know, um, what do we transfer, you know, we, can we afford a second time? You know, this is already hundreds, uh, about a hundred thousand dollars. We want a house, you know, we want, you know, we want other things. Can we afford to do this a second time? It's cost prohibited. Um, so we just kept going back and forth. Okay, we're going to do single. We're doing double. Actually, we're going to do single. We're going to do single. And anyway, I didn't have anything viable to uh, transfer. So I said, you know, I'm going to try one more time. I'm going to get another lot. Please, God, let the, the the mom still have eggs there. And she did. She she actually she was about to cycle one last time. So we, we could take some of the eggs. So we got that because it was really important for us that they be genetically related if we are doing a double, you know, um, so they can have that that connection with each other. I, th I think that that's important. Um, so second time, no, no euploids again. 
And I got that call from the nurse. It was like, oh, God. But there is one low-level mosaic, and then the rest were like high-level mosaic or aneuploid. It was a low-level mosaic for trisomy 22. So Google, right, and all the research and what are the chances and is this, you know, because it's not a high-impact, you know, live birth chromosome that could lead to, you know. So finally with the doctor, you know, and she's like, you know, I've been following your journey because this journey was also paused because of COVID. We had everything lined up the legal, the, the, the embryo, the thing ready, and then boom, ASRN hits us with those guidelines and saying, halt, everybody, halt, guidelines, right? Um, and everybody halted. Um, and then all you cycle stopped and we were right in that. So it's like a freaking another thing, right? No, we're going to delay you out a little bit more. So finally that all thought out <laughs> and then we were able to move forward uh, with the transfer. Uh, and we decided with the doctor that we were going to take one of Jim's euploids and we're going to try with my low-level mosaic and we're going to throw that in there uh, and see what happens because we know that it's it's a 50-50 chance, you know, and, and, and we don't know if we were going to do this again. We didn't know if we were going to do this again because of the cost. So at the last week or two when i got the results uh for this one and we we're getting ready to transfer um you know we just decided with the doctor and said let's let's just put them both in let's get the euploid and we'll put in the low level mosaic and if it was meant to be then it's meant to be so everyone's situation is different and sometimes i you know i was bogged down the past couple of years with everyone telling me like lab directors like Single embryo, single embryo, you know, this is, you, you'll find a way, you'll find a way, you know, but, but you don't know my story. You don't know what I've gone through, the cost, you know, what I can afford, what can I not, it's easy to say, you know, one way, but, you know, I, I feel like sometimes people should be aware of different scenarios and situations as well, coming from my situation. So anyway, right, they transfer, um, and then it's that period, right? Until you get the pregnancy test and that, oh my God, another, another, uh, gosh, you know, every day, like jitters and hoping. We we took video, we, we would take videos, Jim and I, before like along the process and sh say where we're at, like this happened, you know, this happened or this didn't happen. So we we, re we have recordings of, of all that just because we knew we might want to watch that. So anyway, um, first pregnancy tests, right? The... HCG levels were really good and they were going up positive pregnancy. Uh, you don't know yet that what's makes it or not. So it's all from there, you know, ultrasound to ultrasound. And then the first heartbeat one, that was the big one, right? There was two. And then my heart sunk and I was like, holy crap, they're there. They're alive. Oh my God, they're beating. <laughs> wow. And it, that that's like the kicker is when you see that because you know, everything else is just so IVF. And then you get to the human aspect, it crosses over and it's just like, wow, it blows you away, you know? And we would fly for the first few times to Arizona to be in person with, with Tara. And she was so great, communicative with us. She has twins of her own through IVF. The pregnancy kept going. Um, and every time you were just like, please, you know, after the first trimester, especially because the miscarriage, you know, and uh, after that, we were like, wow. And then every month, every, you know, every 
there's this baby bump thing or the apps, you know, that show you how the pregnancy and we would follow along like every Saturday morning in our bed. We're like, yeah, it's a squash. It's a watermelon, you know, <laughs> and it can do this and it can do that. And it can see it can move its hand. Like we were right along there every every moment, you know, and hoping for the best. And 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 then probably I would say around month six, seven, we we're like, wow, it's happening. It's 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 worth it. You know, we we're like, OK, we need a We need this is really happening. So around month seven, that's when we were like, OK, you know, let's get the family involved. Let's get the things, the baby shower, all you know, that's so it was, you know, and then just getting the ultrasound pictures. I mean, we even took the the babies to an ultrasound. Uh, they have these photo like uh, studios where not just family photo. No, they have like an ultrasound and they can take photos of your of your babies, all sorts of ultrasound images. And we did that. So we have a bunch of them uh, in womb, little things, little things. And it was just becoming a reality. And I was just we could we were in disbelief almost. But that changed quickly. And and. And then our family was so supportive. Everybody was getting so excited. And then we had this whole plan lined up, you know, okay, gonna be born there. This is the delivery date. Um, let's, you know, month, two months before I had already booked the hotel. It's gonna be a three night journey back to California. We're gonna stay a week in Arizona so we can stabilize a little bit with the babies. And then we're gonna we're gonna take a nice slow three three night four night journey back to, to Cal- everything was planned all the rest stops all the Airbnbs were booked the car everything, and then she comes out about three weeks before the due date uh, and and she has high blood pressure, um, so early preeclampsia, and they didn't release her from the hospital. They said you're not leaving until the babies are born. So uh, here we are. She tells us this like on a Sunday, and then. I'm, I told Jim, we need to get out of there as soon as possible, stat, because the babies are coming there. And then literally the next day, she told us that the doctor is going to do a, a procedure and they're going to they're going to get the babies out. It's delivery time. So everything changed. You know, was, this was in the middle of spring break in Phoenix, where all the hotels were at max. There was no cars. There was no, nothing. You know, that everything was sold out. Very expensive. And so we had to book all these new flights, cancel all the, the plans we had. And just we found a car like there was no cars. That was the worst thing that I remember is like I need a big car to get us back to California. And there was no cars at all during the week. So I went to Hertz and I was there with like like 10 other people and uh, and they were all mad waiting for their cars. And I said, listen. I have two babies that were just born in the hospital and they gave me the car. So everything was like crazy. And then three days there and then we drove straight back. My dream of driving back easily and nicely and all this, it was like L.A., boom, home, boom. So it was just like it was crazy. You know, my sister came. She has kids. So she came to help with uh, with everything. Thankful for that. But anyway, we're in the hospital. Babies are being born and that was crazy you know getting your thing ready they're about to be born um she's about to go you know delivery you know um and uh you know we're invited into the room and this was crazy because of covid and only one parent's allowed but since the doctor made an exception for us too it was a great doctor and we were there like from everything from i could see like 
them coming out. We have video of scooping them out of chorus first crying and then Aria was there. And I was just like, oh my God, I was like a little baby. I was just like, wow. And then that's it. They're there, they're healthy. You know, that's all I was praying for is a healthy baby. I don't, I don't care what it is, you know, I just want a healthy baby. Even like when we're deciding which embryos to transfer, I'm like, transfer the healthiest. Anyway, they were born and I couldn't believe it. And now they're sleeping and taking a nap over there. Um, and like I said, we're helping friends now to try to pursue this journey, allowing them, you know, you could do this little by little. Um, a lot of things just lined up, as you could see. Some things were meant to happen. Some things were not meant to happen. Um, but it's overall a pretty crazy story. And I think it's all about perseverance, too. And I just also feel for all the couples that suffer from infertility. And you know, I was at Resolve a couple of weeks ago down here in San Diego. And it's, it's, it's a real thing. And everyone has a different story. And I feel really bad for those that can't ultimately, you know, achieve their dreams and you know so i think just more advocacy putting things out there developing services and resources even this like little story like um it, it's needed 